I can remember towards the end of my first semester, my freshman year of college, I remember getting a phone call from my mom in the middle of the day. And that was kind of a rare thing for my mom to call. And then it was even a rarer thing for her to call me in the middle of the day. So I knew it wasn't good news when she called. And she asked me the first thing, have you been reconciling your checkbook? And I said, no, what in the heavens does that mean, reconcile? I've never heard such a term. And she said, do they mail you something every month? And I said, yes, ma'am, they do. And she said, do you ever look at that? I said, yes, ma'am, I do. I make sure that I got money in there. And she says, but you have to make sure that your account matches their account. Because if you don't reconcile your account, it can be off. And I said, Mom, how can my account be off if I keep perfect track of everything? How can I be off? And she said, that's the problem. Sometimes you don't keep perfect track. And you have not kept perfect track. You see, back in the old days, they used to charge you for letting them you use their money. They charged you for that. I didn't realize that. There was a deduction each month. And then when you don't add like one or two, three checks in there, and you forget that in the rotation, sometimes there's a negative balance that can be the result. That's what happened to me. Thus, I learned firsthand over the phone with an angry mother what reconciling is all about. And when she watches this, she'll say she wasn't that angry, but I beg to differ. She was angry. She's an accountant by living, by the way. This morning, we're continuing our journey through 2 Corinthians as we move verse by verse. And this morning, we come to the edge of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we want to begin in verse 16 this morning and look through verse 20. Uh, in this passage, Paul speaks about the ministry of reconciliation. And as we look at this passage, as we dive into it, we want to consider the art of reconciliation and what it means in relationship with our relationship with God. So open your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll start at verse 16, and I'll read it aloud for you. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16 through 20. I'm reading in the English Standard Version. It says this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new is come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, as we dive into this passage, there are three headings that we're going to use to kind of help us on our journey through this. The first thing we see in verse 16, Paul speaks about a new mind. In verses 17 through 18, Paul speaks about a new man. And then in verses 18 through 20, Paul speaks about a new ministry. Before we dive into this passage, let's just pause for a moment and pray. Great God in heaven, we're grateful that you are the 
great God in heaven, that there is no other. And Lord, as we open your word this morning, I pray we would hear from you this morning, that your word would speak to our hearts. We know, Lord, that as we gather, there's nothing that I can share that's of any value. But Lord, your word is of great value. And the message you have for us today is of great value. And I thank you for bringing us here this morning so that we can hear it. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't leave and we wouldn't miss it. So, Lord, we're grateful, grateful for this opportunity. It's in your son's name we pray these things. Amen. Now, as we begin this morning, the first thing we want to see is a new mind. Now, notice verse 16 there. He says, from now on. Now, thankfully, as we read that, we don't see the word therefore, because so far, every time it seems like we've started a message, there's been the word therefore, right? We've always asked the question, what the, what's the therefore, therefore? From now on, therefore. You thought you were off the hook, didn't you? <laughs> Once again, it's right there before our eyes. And what Paul is doing here is he's connecting us to what we saw last time we were together uh, in verses 14 and 15. Just look at verse 14 there for a second. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might, not, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So what Paul is saying here, and he's looking back to that, that Christ has died for all, and he is part of that all. Christ is part of, or Paul is part of that all that Christ died for. And because Christ died for Paul, he can no longer live for himself. He is now living for Christ because of what Christ has done for him. When Paul's eyes were opened to this truth, Paul's life changed. Everything in Paul's life changed. His outlook changed. Look at verse 16 as it continues. He says, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now this phrase here that says according to the flesh, regarding someone according to the flesh, is the idea of having a worldly view. When we view someone with worldly standards, we look through the worldly lens, we look at them based on their wealth, we look at them based on their social status, we look upon them based on worldly expectations. We see the exterior is what we see. And Paul says, now we regard no one according to the flesh. Paul was a Pharisee. And Paul, as a Pharisee, was known then as Saul. And when Saul, when Saul viewed others, he viewed them through that worldly lens. He just looked at the exterior and at nothing else. That was Paul's view of things. He looked at them according to the flesh. Now, as we think about Saul, he was a persecutor of the church. And Saul sought to exterminate the church. That was his desire. This is Acts chapter 8, verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women, and he committed them to prison. When Saul was doing that, he was seeking, and he thought he was doing everything right for the Lord. But Saul was blinded. 
Saul got permission to go to Damascus and find more Christians in Damascus because he had driven most of them out of Jerusalem. And he was on his way to Damascus when he came into contact with Jesus Christ. This is Acts 9, verse 3. As he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. That very event changed Saul's life forever. God changed Saul's name to Paul, and we now know him as the Apostle Paul. And Paul's outlook on everything changed. Paul's motives for everything changed as a result of that. And even his view of Jesus Christ changed. Look at verse 16 as it continues. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. You see, Saul, when he looked at Jesus, he thought Jesus was just a man. He saw Jesus from a worldly perspective. He saw Jesus as a blasphemer who claimed to be one with God. Who claims that? He must be blaspheming God. He believed that Jesus was nothing more than a deceiver. He believed that Jesus was an imposter, nothing more than a false teacher seeking to get people to follow him down the wrong path. He didn't believe Jesus was who he claimed to be. Saul saw the crucifixion as something that was just. Jesus deserved that punishment because he was a blasphemer. He deserved that. That fateful day on Damascus, though, when he was on Damascus Road and he just got off the 108 interchange, everything changed. Because it was there he came face to face with Jesus Christ. And it was there that he recognized that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, not the false Messiah that he thought he was, but he realized he was the Messiah. And immediately, Saul began to proclaim Jesus Christ as the Son of God. This is Acts 9, verse 20. And immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying, He is the Son of God. The synagogues were the place where Paul used to hang out. That was the place they didn't want to hear about Jesus being the Son of God. But because of Saul's encounter, Paul went and proclaimed to them that Jesus is the Son of God. He was the Messiah they had been looking for. So as a result of Saul's encounter, he had an entirely new mindset about who Jesus Christ was. He had an entire new mindset as he looked at others. He didn't look at them in the exterior as he once did. Not only did he have a new mind, but Paul himself was a new man. Look at verse 17. Therefore, <laughs> you got to love it, right? <laughs> if anyone is in Christ, now, Paul is talking about a new position here, being in Christ. This is a, a new position. And notice the word there, anyone. If the word anyone is there, this is a reference to everyone, right? 
Anyone in the Greek means anyone. That means everyone. That means all. Isn't that how that works when we think about anyone? If anyone, and this is not just for Paul. This is Jews and Gentiles alike. You know, there were only two kinds of people then. You were either Jewish or you were Greekish. There was no difference. It was just two people. And he says, it's open for everybody. And that's any sinner. Any sinner. This is available for any sinner. And it doesn't matter how awful and despicable we are. If anyone is in Christ. And we think about Paul. He was a persecutor of the church. And he's part of this anyone. So as we look at our past and we see how wretched we are, this anyone is qualification for us as well. We qualify for that. Notice the word if there. If anyone is in Christ. This word for if here is a conditional term. If there's a condition that has to be met. If anyone is in Christ. This thought of in Christ is a term that Paul uses frequently, uh, almost as frequently as he uses the word therefore. But Christ uses this frequently. And this being in Christ is a position for anyone. Now, this word that's used here for being in Christ, this is, this is used as a locative sphere. Uh, as a locative sphere. Uh, locative tells us where something is. And the sphere speaks of one thing's location in regards to another thing's location. So this being in Christ, to be in Christ, we live as an individual within the sphere of where Christ is at. That's what this thought of being in Christ is speaking about. We live within his sphere. That's where we are. If anyone believes... And Jesus Christ, if anyone repents of their sins and turns from their sins and turns and places their faith in Christ, forgiveness is received. Justification is received. Salvation is the result. Being born again is what takes place. We are taking out of the realm of darkness and we are placed in the sphere of Christ. That's what happens when we are in Christ. Taken out of the realm of darkness and placed into the realm of Jesus Christ. Into the sphere of Jesus Christ. And it's a gift. It's not an achievement. It's not a merit badge. It is a gift of God. And when we are in Christ, when we are in this sphere with Christ, there is union with Christ. There is communion with Christ. There is this all-encompassing relationship with Christ. Because we are in Christ. Because we are in this sphere. Now notice verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is. A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Not only do we have a new mind when we're in Christ, but we have a new body. We are a new man 
in Christ. And that's what Paul sees here. If the if phrase, if the if condition is met, this is the result. We are a new creation in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Not if you simply adopted a new philosophy. Not if you found a new set of friends. Not if you just decided to do something different on Sunday mornings. But if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. When we are born again, we become a new creation. Everything changes. Our perspective on sin changes. <clears throat> there have been a number of times that God has given me the opportunity to lead someone to Christ. And I've often wondered, man, I hope I said the right thing. You know, they, they trust Christ and they share their faith in Christ and they seek to be forgiven of their sins and they recognize that Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for their sins. And as they share that and as they say that, I'm just praying, Lord, let this be true. Let them really see this. Let them understand just what this is all about. And then I receive a phone call in a couple days. And they say, Pastor, it just feels like all I do is confess sin. I hang up the phone and I drive to Schwanstra. <laughs> because two weeks, two days before that, three days before that, they had no care, they had no concern. They sinned as if it didn't even matter because they didn't care. But now all of a sudden, there's a realization of the reality of sin. And when that realization, that reality is there, it's a sign of a change, of a mindset change, of a creation change, of one being born again. And if that life change is lacking, there's a good reason to believe that that heart remains in unbelief. But if there's that change, if there's a recognition of a change that needs to be made, then there's recognition of a, of a new creature. Now this doesn't say that all the changes happen at once, because I'm still in that change process, still being changed and molded and shaped. But it began with that decision to trust Christ as Lord and Savior. That moment that I was born again, that I became a new creature in Christ, and began in this growth process as a new creature in Christ. Notice verse 18 as it begins. All of this is from God. This is a God thing. This isn't an us thing. This is a God thing. This is not something that we can do. This is not something that we can bring upon ourselves. I read a story about a guy who looked at his life and his life was in shambles. Marriage drug addiction, just all of these different things going on in his life. And it was a wreck, a train wreck. And he knew that some changes needed to be made. And so he went to the bookstore and he spent some money and he bought several do-it-yourself, uh, self-help books. And he figured that if he followed step one through ten, he would be a better man by morning. And so he read these books, he poured through these books, and nothing changed. He was still the same guy. And he knew that it was worthless. He knew that none of those changes were taking place. He started trying to be a better person, but it just didn't happen. Nothing changed. He was still the same old guy. 
And then someone came alongside of him and saw he was struggling. And this man came alongside of him and shared with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he realized that that's what he was needing. He needed Jesus. And so he bowed before Christ and recognized that, that Christ died for his sins and paid the penalty for his sins. And he, he confessed his sin and recognized Christ and gave his life to Christ. And changes began to take place. He could see those changes in himself. His own desires had changed. Some of the thought process that he was thinking before, that changed. Because in that moment, he became a new creature in Christ. The self-help book didn't help. But Jesus Christ touching his heart changed his life. And that's what happens. This is not something that we can initiate. Due to our sin, due to our inadequacies, due to our utter depravity, there's nothing that we can do because we are dead in our trespasses and sins. No matter how often we water a dead plant, it's dead. It's not going to come back to life. And we are dead in our trespasses and sins. He says this in verse 18, all this from God, who through Christ. You see, God is a holy God. And God is a just God. Because He is holy, sin is something that is unacceptable to God. He can't even kind of look at it and say, well, that's a white lie. He doesn't see it that way. He sees it as sin. It is the opposite of who God is. Sin is anything that we say, do, or think that displeases God. Because God is just, He can't ignore sin. He can't just say, ah, better luck next time. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. That's a penalty that has to be paid. It's not a penalty that can be waived. It's a penalty that must be paid. But you know what? Jesus Christ came into this world and he paid that penalty. He died that death. He was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And that payment for sin has been made. That payment for sin has been made. Notice verse 18. It says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Reconciliation involves a change of relationship to restore someone to a favorable and friendly position over the situation that was wrong. Reconciliation restores that relationship. It moves a relationship from bad to good when reconciliation takes place. Notice that God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself. That means that God didn't lower his standards for us. That means that God brought us to him. How does he do that? In Christ. That's the only way it's possible is in Christ. It's not possible any other way. It's only in Christ. Paul is a new man because he's in Christ. Because he's been transformed and transferred from that kingdom of darkness 
into the kingdom of light. From the kingdom of darkness into the realm of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And that's the only way for us as well. There's no other way. There's not a self-help book. We can't buy all the Girl Scout cookies in the world to get there. God has to do it. And it's only when we turn to Christ and recognize Him as Lord and Savior, forsaking our sins and turning to Him, it's only then that we're transformed, that we're born again, made new creatures in Christ. That's the only way. Now that He has a new mind, now that He's a new man, He now has a new ministry. Look at verse 18. The last part of it there. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This word for ministry here means service. Paul's service is now a service of reconciliation. He is about the work of sharing the mode of reconciliation with other people so that they can be reconciled. Not reconciled to Paul, but so that they can be reconciled with God, just as Paul was. Because it's only through that encounter with Jesus Christ that we can be reconciled with God. And now Paul's ministry is to go and to share that. And Paul is seeking to share the good news of Jesus Christ in his ministry of reconciliation with others so that others can be reconciled to God. Paul shares this in Romans 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Paul says, I am going. I will be the one who shares with them the good news of Jesus Christ. Because Paul wanted to see people reconciled to God. And he said, you know what? I'll be about this service of reconciliation. Because I want to see people turn to Christ. That was what he was all about. Look at verse 19. It shares his message. That is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That is the cliff notes of the good news of Jesus Christ. God has reconciled those who are in Christ to himself. If we are in Christ, he brings us to his love. He reconciles us to him. Before reconciliation took place, we were out of balance. But once the reconciliation takes place, we're in balance. We're where we should be. Not because of how great we are, not because we're over 6'4", but because of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Now notice he says here, not counting their trespasses against them. This is the synonym for the word sin. The word sin in the Greek means to miss the mark. This is God's requirement. And we are all born sinners. We're born with sin. 
So we miss the mark. We all fail because that's who we are. We miss the mark. The word for trespassers means to be stepping beyond a boundary. So just as we don't meet this mark, there is a mark that we cannot cross because of our sin. And if we sin, we'll cross that mark and we'll be classified as a trespasser. When we sin, we step across that mark and we are trespassers and we are guilty. When a person is in Christ, their trespasses are not held against them. Just like when we're in Christ and we miss the mark, God brings us up above that mark. As trespassers, when we step over the line and trespass, God does not hold that against us because we are in Christ. That's the only reason. That's the only reason. This message of reconciliation was a message that Paul received himself from Jesus Christ himself. And then Paul went out proclaiming that message because he was given the ministry of reconciliation. If we have been reconciled to God, if our sins have been forgiven, if our trespasses haven't been held against us because we're in Christ, this ministry of reconciliation that we received is now a message of reconciliation that's up to us to share. We take it in and we turn and share that message. That's how it works. That's what happened to Paul. And it is our responsibility. Look at verse 20. Therefore, man, you got to love that, don't you? Therefore, because of all of this, because of the reconciliation ministry that we are now a part of, because we've received that reconciliation, we are now ambassadors of Christ. When we started our study through this, we started talking about how we are ambassadors. An ambassador is simply a representative of his master, of his king. As ambassadors of Christ, we are representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. A king will give his message to his ambassadors, and his ambassadors go and share that message. Ambassadors often don't live within their home country. They hang out in other countries. And when the king gives them the message, they share that message in that area that they're in. Paul says we are ambassadors for Christ as representatives of the king living in this foreign land because our citizenship is not here. This is not our home. We're just passing through. This is just a temporary gig as ambassadors. We're not the one who decides policy. As an ambassador, we don't decide the policy. We don't come and say, hey, you know what? We're here to talk to you about reconciliation. The king has sent us. He's got a message of reconciliation. We would love to share it with you, but we would prefer you tell us what you want to do to be reconciled. And then we'll let the king know that that's what you want. It doesn't happen that way. The king is the one who says, this is what needs to be done for reconciliation to take place. Because it's the king who's been sinned against. It's the king who's been trespassed against. He's the one who determines policy. 
When we share the good news of Jesus Christ with people, they may say, well, you know what, that's good for you, but I don't believe that. doesn't matter. The ambassador, I'm just an ambassador, I'm just a messenger. The king sets the policy. This is the policy. This is what God says. This is how we are reconciled to him. Paul says we are ambassadors. When we are in Christ, we've been reconciled to Christ. And as ambassadors, we now have a message of reconciliation to share with others. Notice verse 20. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on the behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. As ambassadors taking the message of Christ, it is God making his appeal through us. Paul says, I'm here on behalf of the king. I'm simply an ambassador. But I beg you, I beg you to be reconciled to God. God is the one who determines what reconciliation needs to take place. He's provided the way of reconciliation for us through the cross. This is the agreement that's being brought to you. Please, please accept this reconciliation. Turn to Christ. Recognize Christ as Lord and Savior. Be reconciled to God. I beg you. That's what Paul says. The consequences of refusing to be reconciled to God are too harsh to pay. It is eternity separated from God. It's too harsh of a penalty to pay. And this was Paul's appeal. This is why Paul was begging. Paul believed in this so much his heart was burdened so deeply for people to be reconciled to God that he made this statement. Romans 9, verse 1. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul believed this reconciliation was so important that he was willing to be unreconciled with God if others could be reconciled to God. That's why we see Paul willing to lay down his life, beaten five times with 39 lashes, within an inch of his life, five different times. He continued to proclaim the message because he knew how important reconciliation is. He knew how much reconciliation was needed. And he begged them. This is Romans 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. That was Paul's heart's desire. That was his desire. That people 
sinful people would be reconciled to God. He gave his life to make sure that the message of reconciliation was proclaimed. When Paul understood this message of reconciliation, he had a new mind. As a result of that, he was a new man. And because he had a new mind, because he had a new man, he saw that he had a new ministry. Paul was zealous for the things of God before he knew Christ. He was anti-Christ before he met Christ. But when he met Christ, it was no longer all about Saul. It was now all about Jesus Christ. And that's where his zeal was. So what do we take home from this? What do we apply to our Sunday afternoon? I think the first thing that we have to ask ourselves, and the first thing I have to ask you, have you ever heard the good news before? Have you ever heard the good news of this message of reconciliation? That you can be reconciled to God. You can be reconciled to God no matter your past. Now, I don't know you. I don't know about your past. But sometimes we can look at our past and we can say, you know what? God can never forgive me because of what I've done. But you know, if Paul can be forgiven, Paul, who persecuted the church and killed followers of Christ, if he can be forgiven, you can be forgiven. Your trespasses can be taken away if you are in Christ. You see, because Christ came into this world and he lived a perfect life. He was without sin. Tempted in every way, but yet without sin. And as the Lamb of God, he went to the cross and gave his life for you and for me so that we could be reconciled to God. But the only way that happens is by faith in Christ. Some may say, I'll do it my own way. That doesn't work. Reconciliation is impossible without Christ. It's only through Christ. So my question for you today, have you been reconciled to God? Without Christ, you cannot be. Have you been? Reconcile to God. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Christ. This is the first time you've heard this message of reconciliation. Today's your day. God brought you here for a purpose. Don't let today go by without being reconciled to God. I'll be the one standing at the back afterwards if you need to talk to me about it. I'd love to tell you about it. An exciting thing to be reconciled to the God of the universe. Sin is what keeps us from being reconciled. But there is a way of reconciliation. Maybe you're here today and you've been reconciled. You can remember that day that you trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. And you know that day that your sins are forgiven. And as you sit here today, you know that if you were to die today, you would stand before God. Because you've received that message of reconciliation. You've accepted the gift of reconciliation. 
But what have you been doing with the message of reconciliation? This message is too good for us to keep quiet. This message is a message that should be burning in our souls as we come in contact with people who don't know Jesus Christ, who don't know about the ability to be reconciled. It should be burning in our hearts to make sure they know it. You know, when other things happen in our lives, it burns in our heart and we can't wait to tell somebody, right? Admire the other day, just seeing a lady. Man, you won't believe the size of the buck I killed. She doesn't even hunt. But it's burning in my heart to share it with her. This message of reconciliation should be a message that burns in our hearts. That we should be looking for those opportunities to tell them about Jesus Christ. Because we live in a world that needs, desperately needs, to be reconciled to God. And we have the message of reconciliation.